Welcome back to Podcast Recovery, everyone. We're your hosts, David O. And Eric V. Today we are joined by our guest, Sean. How are you doing today? Hey, doing pretty good. Good, man. Cool. Glad to hear it. Uh, where are you from, Sean? I'm from Lakewood, Colorado, which is a little suburb of Denver. Nice. And uh, when were you first introduced yeah. to recovery? Oh, man. Um, I'd say I was introduced to it probably about a decade ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I've been clean now for a little, almost four years now. Awesome. Or a little over four years in a few days. Yeah. Nice. I was, that was actually my next question is how long you've been clean. And you said you just celebrated on uh, February 1st? That's right. Been four years on uh, this, uh, uh, yep, February 1st. <laughs> That's awesome, man. Congratulations. And with all that out of the way, we're going to turn Thank it over you. to you to share your story with us. So take it away. Great. Um, well, thank you for having me. And uh, my name is Sean, and I am a grateful recovering addict. Uh, I've been clean for uh, four years and a few days now. Um, I celebrated my four-year uh, clean date on February 1st, 2020. Um, and I think I'd just like to start out by saying that uh, over the past week or so, I've done a lot of reflecting off of my uh, recovery, mm-hmm. and I believe that I would not be alive today if it were not for the guidance of my fellowship of Narcotics Anonymous and uh, the guidance of a loving and caring power um, that is greater than my disease. Mm-hmm. Um, this past year, I have been through a challenge that I didn't expect in life, and uh, I, I believe that if I wasn't clean, um, that uh, I, I wouldn't have managed this challenge. And so mm. in May, I was uh, diagnosed with myxofibrosarcoma, which is a form of cancer. Oh, my God. Um, very rare, rare cancer. And uh, basically a year before that, I got a lump growing in my, my right thigh, and um, it was basically misdiagnosed. They, they didn't think anything of it because at the time I was about uh, 40 or 41 years old at that time mm-hmm. and they just thought it was a, a, a calcium um, deposit and so they surgically removed it. It was a pretty standard surgery um, and then the next year I noticed that this lump had been growing back basically in my thigh mm-hmm. and um, they took it out they did a pathology report, and they told me that um, it was this, this this cancer that actually people younger than me, I, I, I started to learn, actually get. Um, hmm. And um, so I, I went on my journey of uh, um, fighting this cancer, and uh, um, unfortunately what happened was I got a... Um, my, I, I ended up getting a few scans on my 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 lungs, and they found that it had uh, basically this this cancer is like a muscle cancer, mm-hmm. and it uh, um, a little piece broke off, and it got into the bloodstream, and it settled in my lungs, oh. and it starts spreading in my lungs, and so I went through radiation treatment on, or I had more another surgery. I had radiation treatment on my leg, and after that was done. Um, 
I was put into this program for this immunotherapy drug. And um, the I had a PET scan, I think it was at the end of October, and basically mm-hmm. there were tumors all over my lungs by that time. And some of them were about four centimeters in length. Um, and I so I started this, this immunotherapy treatment. And it was a clinical trial. Basically, only 170 people have been taking this, this, this drug. And two months later, I got another PET scan on December 27th. And uh, it was really good news. Basically, this drug had, had been working. Um, and I had a significant reduction in, in, in these tumors. Um, and they said it was over 50%, but you can look at the, the, the actual PET scan and it's, uh, there's, it's just amazing contrast. Um, it was definitely a miracle and, um, I'm still going through the treatments. I'm not cancer free yet, but, mm-hmm. um, theoretically this, this, this drug is supposed to, um, change my immune system so that um, it will get rid of this cancer and the cancer won't come back anymore. Wow. Um, and so I say, I say that I'm alive today because um, I've been really thinking about that, that, that first step and um, the manageability I've had in my life mm-hmm. and the decisions that I've been making in my life. And I, I don't believe that I would be alive because I would be making the wrong decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would not be managing my life right now um, without, without recovery and teaching me how to, or guiding me on a better path of how to make better decisions. And, um, you know, I mean, there is a lot of, coincidences and I don't know I'm an agnostic in recovery so sometimes I'm, I'm skeptical mm-hmm. about some of the, the mysticism in, in recovery but mm-hmm. yeah. um, just by making the, these decisions where I I called the right doctor who was my radiation oncologist and he got me in touch with a medical oncologist who two of them had, had over 30 years of experience and they bas- basically said that we don't know what to do <laughs> because this is such a rare cancer and so they said me to the specialist who was part of this research um, that is state of the art, and they they got me into the right right areas, and I don't know if I, I'd be able to make those decisions, and yeah. because what what I have looked at in my my history, and by doing the steps, and by looking at at, at my behavior in the past, is that. Um, I could never manage my life. Um, I've been writing a lot about how I was really living two lives. Mm-hmm. Um, and I kind of like, uh, we, we talk about it in my literature, the, there's Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Oh, yeah. And I definitely uh, could, could, could can relate to that. Mm-hmm. Um, I was always a very smart uh, individual. I was uh, really into things like art and writing and I, I wanted to be a, a writer since I was a, a teenager and um, school was kind of an easy thing for me mm-hmm. and so I, 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 I got through school I, I got a uh, English degree I ended up getting a master's degree in creative writing um, and those were like really great accomplishments you know 
Um, but then on the other side, I could never manage my finances. I could never uh, have stable relationships. Mm-hmm. I was a real piece of shit when it came to uh, relationships uh, with women. Um, mm-hmm. And I was always um, coming back to my parents and asking them for money or for help. And uh, they definitely um, got caught in that loop of, of helping me. Um, because I, I really started to, to, to learn how to manipulate uh, what, what I needed. And from, I'd say from my early 20s was when I really started drinking and using drugs. Um, mm-hmm. Alcohol was my drug of choice, but I found that um, when I got things like pots or coke or things like that to mix put in the mix Uh um that even helped enhance things a lot more for me and i thought i was kind of like a mad chemist with these these ingredients of all the different drugs and chemicals i was using you know um and by the time i had graduated from my master's program i was pretty uh, dependent off of chemicals and so Uh i was probably about 26 to 27 by that time um, I, uh, did end up getting a job teaching. I couldn't keep that job, which was kind of funny cause I was teaching at risk youth at the time, you know, mm-hmm. because you have a master's degree and it's basically in writing and really the only job you can get as a, is as a teacher. Yeah. And so I got this job for like this, this charter school on, on the west side of Denver, basically teaching these kids who had like ankle monitors on and they were all like pretty hardcore gang members and stuff like that. And, um, it was a really high stress job and I kept that for a while, but, um, I ended up just burning out because I basically, I do this, this really intense, stressful job. And then I go out and just get wasted every night. Mm. Um, and I, I, I think I was, I kind of look back and I can't believe I could actually maintain that, uh, lifestyle, um, with very little concern about my health, you know, um, until I, I would burn out and I, I ended up just leaving that job and I, I, I still am working on that, um, on making amends on that because I, I, I feel like I let a lot of those students down because I was a pretty good teacher, I, I thought, except for uh, my, my behavior outside of, uh, outside of the school, you know. Um, and so at that, at that time, I was in a relationship. Um, I wasn't very happy with myself. I, um, she wasn't happy because she saw that I wasn't giving her a lot of security and I became pretty abusive, both verbally and physically. And I tried to keep work by teaching at community college jobs. And basically what happened was I ended up catching a felony. Um, I basically Mm. threatened to kill this woman. Um, And uh, it was kind of a a little thing where, like, I basically, I went into, my my grandma had just died. I didn't know how to deal with my emotions at that time. Mm. I just knew how to numb it by drinking and drugging. And I went on kind of a psychotic uh, three-day binge. And and part of that was 
um, threatening this woman with like a handful of like steak knives as she ran out of my out of out of the house, oh. and then leaving these these uh, insane calls to her um, that I was going to kill her basically. And uh, the the only memory I really have of that is like there was like something possessing me. Um, at that time. And I was definitely, I guess I'd say I was more Mr. Hyde, um, in full Mr. Hyde state at that time. Um, and, uh, so that was really one of the, the, the big, big parts where it, it should have told me that, that I had a, had a problem, um, and maybe I, I need to do something about it. And so I was, I didn't have any other convictions at that time. Uh, we ended up, you know, that relationship did not work out. Um, and I got on diversion. So I, 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 because I didn't have any convictions. And so I served this diversion for a couple of years, which was kind of crazy that I even got through that. Mm-hmm. Um, it basically kept me out of jail, but I did all these classes. I did UAs on a route, about two UAs a, a month, and then um, almost daily breathalyzers. Um, and the crazy thing was, is I was still using at that time. I, I somehow got by breathalyzers. You know, they didn't do any UAs for alcohol at that time, so I would I would drink maybe in the morning or after I got the breathalyzer. You know, um, and then at that time there were also a lot of synthetic drugs around that mm-hmm. I could. The gas station right next to me sold these synthetic drugs that I got out of my my classes of, and I I be getting going to the gas station and buying these 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 crazy synthetic drugs they were selling, mm-hmm. and so I ended I ended up getting caught for like a UA because I I I, I, I smoked some weed, which was just ridiculous, yeah. you know. Um, and I, I ended up staying for like another an extra I think six months on the version. <laughs> And I completed my diversion, but there was something during that those classes that I was taking. Um, there was a drug counselor at the time, and it was after I was um, I had I had failed this this UA, and this guy basically told me about Narcotics Anonymous. Mm-hmm. Um, he was a he was a long timer um, in AA, and he just had been around for for a while, and he kind of saw that that I, I I had a lot of confusions about I had a lot of um, resentment towards I think the the mothership program of AA mm-hmm. uh, mainly because of my my dad and um, I also didn't really think that time that marijuana was a problem mm-hmm. and so he, he kind of directed me towards Narcotics Anonymous. Um, and this is probably around 2009, 2010. Mm-hmm. And I ended up trying a few meetings. It really wasn't for me um, at that time. Um, I really just wanted to do my own thing. Yep. Um, things just got, seemed to get worse, though, mm-hmm. <laughs> because I wanted to do my own thing. Um, I remember I was having I, I, I was having a hard time keeping work. I was having a hard time keeping jobs. I was going to payday loan places while I tried to keep my jobs just to get money so I could get drugs. Mm-hmm. I was uh, breaking into cars 
which was crazy too, because I was a, I was a professor. They called me a professor. I was teaching at community college and <laughs> I, I spend nights sometimes breaking into cars, you know, wow. um, and I was, it was kind of that, that, that life of where I was living two two lives still, but it was getting more and more hard to, to live, to live those lives until mm-hmm. one of the schools I was working for fired me because I just ended up not submitting grades <laughs> to a class, nice. you know, um, I was, uh, yeah, it was <laughs> not a cool thing to do, you know? Um, and so I, uh, I got to a point where I felt like I needed some sort of a change. Mm-hmm. I didn't have any friends at that time. I wasn't in any relationships. I think I had just um, got beat up at a bar. I basically got my ass kicked by this guy. Um, and I remember being sent to the hospital with my, like I had called my dad too. And he, he, he called the paramedics and they took me to the hospital and I, I, I ended up pulling out the IVs of my arm and walking out of the hospital, like yelling at people, you know, <laughs> um, just this insane fucking behavior. Yeah. Um, and so I was, I was at a point of, of really just desperation. And so what I thought I'd do is I thought I'd go to New Mexico. I thought New Mexico would be the place to go. Um, and I even looked at a map and I'm like, okay, I don't want to move too far away because mm-hmm. I want to be close to home because uh, I, I, if any, any, any shit happens, I need my mommy and daddy to help me out, you know? Yeah. And so, um, and that has been a big pattern for me. And so I, I ended up getting this really crappy car. Um, have, I, had, I, had a, I had my two cats and I, I jammed all the shit I could into this car and basically moved to New Mexico. I took out whatever money I I had collected from um, my pension, basically, for this community college job that I had hmm. for about three, three, three and a half years, basically, which ended up being like, I think, about $10,000 or something like that. Um, and I went to New Mexico, uh, Socorro, New Mexico, which is in the, about 80 miles um, south of, of Albuquerque, um, in the middle of nowhere, there's only just this little tiny college there. And there's about 7,000 people in, in the, in the entire County basically. And, uh, the housing was really cheap. So I'd mm-hmm. got this little tiny house, um, which is basically just a little shack. And I told myself, I'm going to be a, a novelist. I'm going to be a writer mm-hmm. and I'm going to get away from this life. And what I can probably equate the experience to is I was basically like a lion in a cage, just uh, pacing back and forth all the time, um, constantly obsessing about using, constantly obsessing about um, numbing the pain that I was in. And it basically came to a point where about five months later, my car broke down, um, my engine block just basically locked. And mm-hmm. I called mom and dad again, and I'm like, I need to get out of here, and I can't do this anymore. And so they helped me get back. They didn't have a place for me to live, basically. Mm-hmm. I, I had I had some animals. I I it was a it was a bad situation. Um, so the last thing that my parents ever did for me, and I'm really 
both grateful, but I'm still um, making uh, living amends to them is that they basically in Denver, the, it's really hard to, to live in Denver now mm-hmm. um, in the past like five years or so. Um, it's really high rent. And so I didn't have any pla- any apartment to go to because I had no job. I had some animals. And so they, they, they basically bought, bought me this cheap condo and um, they gave me a place to live. And so probably for about eight months, I did not work. They helped support me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just got really depressed. Mm-hmm. I was suicidal ideation almost every day. I thought about killing myself mm. um, until it came to a point where I I had no other choices. It was either I was going to die or I had to do something else. And so on August 13th, when was it? 2014. That's when I first walked into my home group at mm-hmm. Narcotics Anonymous. And I basically broke down and I, I, I started to go into meetings on a regular basis. I, I, I went to more than 90 meetings in 90 days. I, I think at, at one time I looked at, I, I tried to estimate it as something like 160 meetings. Nice. In the first 90 days. Um, I got a lot of NA in me. I got a sponsor. I started doing the steps. Um, and I, the thing is that I was still I was still very much an academic. I, I thought this was like school. And so I did the work. I did everything I was, I was suggested to do. But there was still this spiritual thing that I didn't really understand at that time. Yeah. Um, and I ended up relapsing about 13 months into it. I got 13 months clean, um, almost to the day, 13 months clean. And I was working on a sixth step at that time. I started to look at some of my defects of character, and I was just like, I don't think I can do this. Mm. I don't think I can get rid of the anger and the rage and the, the, all these, these shitty things I, I, I do and who I am. And I, I relapsed. I it was probably the most miserable relapse. Um, I, I, I can say it wasn't a hard drug relapse. It was mm-hmm. more of a spiritual emptiness that I experienced mm. where I had, I had connected to a higher power in some way. I just didn't know it yet. <laughs> um, and I, I started to get this, this, this loneliness, um, this emptiness and, and it was always there. It was just only, only a, a ten, ten mile or, or, or about a mile away with my home group, and I, I started coming back again, probably about three or four months into this relapse. I was still using, but I kept hearing them say, "Keep coming back, keep coming back." Um, I even went, like when I had been drinking, you know, which I don't recommend going to a meeting um, after you use, but I, I kept coming back, and they kept. They kept letting me come, you know. They never pushed me out of those rooms um, until one day I remember this guy who I haven't seen in, in, a, in a long time. He just shook my hand and he said, keep coming back. And for some reason at that moment, at that time, I was just like, I'm done. Mm-hmm. And the next day I came back, and that was in, that was in 2016 on February 1st that I finally uh, made a commitment to, to stay clean for, for these four years. Um, and I got back on the steps. Um I've had uh, 
three sponsors since then. The sponsor that I, I, I started with um, when I first came in, um, he, he passed away of, of lung cancer about a, a, a year, almost a, uh, 13 months after, after I was, I was clean this, this, this time around. Mm. Um, and it was a pretty amazing experience in, 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 a, in a sad way in a lot of ways because he gave me so much. He gave me a lot of the tools that I needed. Um, and a lot of what that, that experience gave me is that I, I created this intimate relationship with another human being and a, and a man too. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't, it wasn't a, a romantic relationship. It was just an honest relationship with somebody. And he gave me so many gifts and that really, um, got me to a point where I started to understand how this thing worked, uh, where these, these folks that had been, been through this experience gave me these gifts and now it was my turn to, to give to others. Mm. And it's, it's, it's all about that exchange. Um, and so his passing actually was, a, was, was one of the greatest gifts to me because I could, I could, I could give what he gave me to others. Mm. Um, and so he's always with me. Uh, Rick is always with me. He's, he's my, my angel. Um, he's, he's my guide. And he was definitely the first higher power that I, I had in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, and ever since then, I've developed the sense that there are these loving and caring uh, forces in my life that are keeping me clean. I mean, at first I, I had to see the rooms of Narcotics Anonymous. Um, later on, as I start to... To, to repair uh, my relationships. I saw that it, there was people in my family who have always been with me and who have always cared for me, and that that's my higher power. Um, I have seen, as I've, I've fought this cancer, that these doctors, that these nurses are my higher power. Mm-hmm. You know, it keeps expanding and expanding even more. Um, as I get outside of Narcotics Anonymous and I... I, I, I myself am a recovery creator doing my own podcast. I, nice. I start to meet people from other fellowships and um, I, I just, I, 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 the message of recovery um, has, has transcended into, and it grows um, more and more. And so, so at this point in my recovery, I feel that my life is more manageable. Mm -hmm. And uh, in saying that, I believe that I am not living two lives anymore. In fact, uh, I'm a lot more self-confident. I'm a lot more um, sure of who I am. Mm. I have learned how to like myself and I'm learning how to love myself. I don't know if I'm quite there yet. That was a big, big, big issue with me early on in recovery is, is loving myself. Um, but what I have been told through recovery is that if you can't love yourself, um, those in recovery will, will, will love you. Um, and I have definitely uh, felt that. And since I, I see my higher power as a loving and caring power, um, I trust I trust in it, and I have this 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 trust and devotion towards my higher power now. Even though I'm still trying to understand um, what that higher power is, a lot of times, you know, um, mm-hmm. going through this this recovery of cancer has been a a big uh, 
I've had to argue with my higher power a lot of times um, or have a lot of critical discussions with my higher power on, on, on why, why does this have to happen? Why, when I'm getting uh, through recovery, do I have to get this sickness um, mm. that uh, is life-threatening? Um, mm. And really, I came to a lot of conclusions is I really don't know. You know, and yep. that's okay sometimes. <laughs> sometimes yeah. I, I have to just go go with what what life is on life's terms. And I think that's because because if if I wasn't in recovery and if I was didn't have this relationship with a, with a loving and caring power that is greater than my addiction, my addiction would win, mm. and it, my addiction would kill me. Um, and that's not going on on my terms anymore. That's going on my, my diseases terms. And I know that that, that was a, a, only a, a, a downward tra- 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 trajectory. I can't mm-hmm. say that word, but, uh, <laughs> um, and so I guess that's, that's, that's about my story right now. You know, I can just say that, um, I've, I've beyond just my addiction of substances, I've, I've learned that, I have other behaviors that um, are the three components that Narcotics Anonymous uh, uh, consumes us is, is our obsessive thinking, um, our, our, our compulsive behavior, mm-hmm. and our spirit, spiritual self-obsession. And I've seen that in, in other behaviors in my life. I, I have been down the road of many toxic romantic relationships, um, and I realized that I have addictions towards things like love and sex, and I've had mm. to to focus on things like that. Um, and now I'm I'm actually in a really good relationship. It's not toxic. We don't fight. Um, I'm not abusive. I'm a pretty good person. Mm. <laughs> um, I, I like to think I am anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's uh, it's pretty. Um, normal in a lot of ways. I, I, I don't think I'm a normal person, but a lot of the goals of recovery is trying to live a fairly normal life, and I, I'm starting to do that a lot more. Um, I, I'm trying to make a lot of my dreams happen. Um, I'm trying to start my own business. I'm trying to um, do things that I would have never done in recovery. I'm, I'm not being dependent off other people anymore, and I, I'm 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 uh, working on a lot of my own self care. I, I I believe I have a lot of work to do, um, and this is an everyday effort. Um, I don't believe that uh, I'm going to be cured of this disease, but I do believe it's gone better. Um, I don't have a strong desire to use anymore, and to to not have that overwhelming obsessive compulsive um, pattern in my life has, has been a huge relief and I'm just really grateful that, that, that I'm in recovery and I, I get to do things like this and, and talk on this podcast. Nice. Um, that's about all I got. <laughs> all right. Awesome. Awesome, man. That was, thanks. That was a great story, man. Um, okay. Thank you. We got some questions for you. Um, awesome. I'm going to start, Eric. I'm not even going to ask you. Whatever, whatever, dude. Okay. All right. Um, so, uh, what was your biggest challenge in early recovery? Uh, um, 
I'd say my biggest challenge was realizing that emotions that written so I, I've always I, I grew up in therapy mm-hmm. um, my parents put me in therapy I, I was told that I was a very sensitive child and I think the biggest uh, challenge for me was not acting on my feelings mm. um, I was very impulsive towards uh, on how I felt if I was sad I'd use if I was happy, I'd use. Mm-hmm. Um, if I was angry, I'd use. And um, even even in my recovery, I think feelings got in the way for me. Mm-hmm. And so when I finally learned that sometimes I just got to sit on my hands and just be mm-hmm. and let those feelings happen, um, that, was, that was probably the biggest, uh, oh, and learning patience, <laughs> oh, yeah. that was, that was really big for me, yeah. you know? Um, so, so really, really just going through that whole, because I, I, I the first time I relapsed during that 13 months was, was because I, I didn't believe that I could get rid of my anger and my rage. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, I didn't believe that it was possible. And, when I came back, I, I, I was just miserable. And there was this old timer who told me, you know, I was miserable for the first few years in recovery. And this guy had like 36, 37 years at that time, you know, mm-hmm. and, and I wanted what he had. And so he told me, you know, you just got to keep coming back. You got to keep doing the program and you just can't act on your feelings. And, that that was a big uh, uh, pers- perspective changer for me, and mm-hmm. so I really started to work on that. Um, and but that was definitely the biggest challenge for me. Mm. All right, what have you got, Eric? Cool. Uh, so I want to take this back to kind of you know what you were talking about in the beginning, and with the cancer and your illness, um, and since you know you are in Narcotics Anonymous, I was wondering like if you did leverage um in times of illness and how you applied that to what you're kind of going Mm. through yeah um yeah i kind of got a little bit of a story on that um but one one thing, I, I mean, I, I need to talk to a spon- my sponsor about that. I need to talk to them, my sponsor. And I've had two sponsors in the past year and a half, but I need to talk to my sponsor about it. And um, the one thing I, I realize is that I can't control my use. Uh-huh. Um, and mm-hmm. so if I were to have pain, which I, I've been really fortunate that I haven't had a lot of extreme pain, um, I would, I would need to have somebody to help me, uh, distribute those narcotics or those, those drugs. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, have come to that decision. I know that I need to work with a sponsor, uh, with that. I need to find other people that would control that distribution because, um, however, there, there was there was something that happened in this whole experience. 
um, that was actually ended up being a, a good experience. And um, so I had a lung biopsy, and this is a terrifying experience. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, you're going through these, you're, you're awake during this time, going into this, um, uh, this scan while they're trying to pinpoint where to put this needle into your into your lung <laughs> and basically there's like a little trigger on this this needle where they pull out little pieces of your tumor and it like snaps every time oh and God. so they need they need to put me on some some drugs pretty really good good drugs mm-hmm. to basically um but that would also keep me awake um and so Oh shoot! I, it's blanking out what the, what those drugs were, but basically, um, it numbed my body. Um, but it was really kind of a, a crazy experience because a lot of people they'll say, "Oh, I'll never do that," but I, I kind of had to. I mean, I yeah. could not move while I was doing this. You yeah. know, you can't so react, really no, right? no choice. Yeah in this this happening you can't you actually have to stop your breath it's not that you hold your breath you just stop your breath every time they they take that snap yeah because if you move um, something terrible could happen i'm assuming right like if you jolted or something yeah yeah. and so after i i had that experience luckily my my lung didn't collapse that was like the thing i was terrified of was that my lung was going to collapse yeah um but they i got through that and it was so surreal, though, because the one thing I noticed was that I didn't feel anything while it was happening. Um, it's like this, this experience where you're just watching everything happening, but you have no feeling, no emotion, no anything. And it was actually kind of a terrifying experience to yeah. happen. And, and so... What I took from that, I mean, I was so grateful after that. My parents, my girlfriend were there. Um, I was just, I was, I was so happy that I, I, I made it through that experience. But I was like, I never want to do that ever again because that was just a terrifying experience. And oh, it, it was mainly fentanyl that I was on. Yeah. And that was, that was kind of a, uh, it was actually, you know, usually I, I would think that that would, that would make me want to relapse, but I was like, I never want to fucking do that ever again. Um, and because I don't want that feeling, I want to actually feel alive. I want to have emotions. I want to feel these things, you know? Um, so there, 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 there is definitely a discussion, um, on, on using, um, I, I think I kind of discussed it before, though, is what what has happened through this times of illness is that it had made has made my relationship with my higher power a lot stronger mm-hmm. and a lot more focused. Um, definitely. All right. Yeah. Can I ask about the medical? How did they get into your lung? Did they go like down your throat or like, through the chest? <clears throat> through the chest. Yeah, it's it's basically through the rib, like uh, the rib cage um, area. So. They they have to find they find like the, they found the biggest biggest tumor mm-hmm. in there that was easiest to access and so like right if you think where your heart is it was probably about two two inches uh, to the right of where like the center of my chest is wow. through, through my ribs they went yeah that's so terrifying I'm just looking at, at 
It is, and it hurt at first, like when they pin it in there, he's like, it's like a wasp sting, and so it kind of hurt a little bit, but then after that, um, it's just kind of crazy because this, this voice, this robotic voice after the, each scan, while, while it's scanning you, will say, hold your breath, and so you just have to stop, stop your breath, basically, and they, they, they trigger it, and they, they grab a piece of it, and they did that about five times, basically, because oh. they need as much tissue as possible. So, um, yeah, I, I, I hope I don't ever have to do that again. <laughs> yeah, I hope so too, dude. Jesus. Yeah. Oh, fuck. That's scary. Yeah. Like, that, that freaked me out. Like, we're both here, like, bug-eyed, like, oh, my God, how'd this guy do this? Wow. <laughs> yeah. wow. Okay. Uh, um, yeah. Where do we go from here? Um, duh, duh, duh. Hmm. All right. Duh, duh, duh. Being agnostic, uh, like an agnostic type person, you said, um, how did you reconcile like how a relationship with a higher power and like, how have you, uh, sort of nurtured that relationship and and worked on making it grow and be a more integral part of your life yeah um you know I, uh, opposed to a lot of folks that i know in recovery i wasn't raised very religious but mm-hmm. my, my parents are agnostic and atheist so luckily i i do have a pretty open foundation on on belief and like I was never pushed a certain belief so I didn't have a lot of conflict uh, a religious conflict you know um, so I came into recovery really just with the sense that I, I never really even thought about a higher power you know when I started doing the second step I think the first thing that, that came to me was that I was living off of my self will mm-hmm. and um, it took, it took, it took probably a couple of years till I really realized though that that meant actually that's what the whole higher power thing was all about was that, um, I can't live off myself well anymore. It hasn't worked for me. So, because I keep doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. So I needed to find a, a power greater than myself in order to guide me. And, and I think really what, what for me, the way I started to see recovery is that the meeting rooms themselves uh, were my higher power. And I, I heard a lot of, I had a lot of really strong um, long-timer, old-timer folks um, in the program. Um, I know at least in, in the Denver area, um, those, those folks that started NA in the early 80s mm-hmm. were very much away from um, the AA fellowship because of the religious sort of overtones. And mm-hmm. so a lot of the old timers are very agnostic or I even know an old timer who has about 40 years now, who's an atheist in, in the program. And nice. I really listen to them a lot. Um, they really, really the whole concept of having the higher power in the rooms and knowing that there are people in the rooms that were a loving and caring power that wanted the best for me and wanted me to stay clean. That's really what I stuck with at the, at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and what, what I think has happened since then is by keeping it simple like that, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, am a, I'm a searcher. I, I, I'm, I really am interested in, 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 in how, how other people get their, their spiritual recovery and where they get it from. Yeah. Um, I just, 
I, 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 I guess I'm, I'm uh, more skeptical about kind of an all-seeing, all omniscient God sort of sort of thing, and yeah. I, I believe that 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 my God or my higher power exists in in nature, in the universe, mm-hmm. in, in the people around me, yeah, and totally. and and so kind of getting that from from the rooms was a really good base for me because then I started to see it. Uh, from people at work, I started to see it in my family. I started to see it in, in, in like those doctors and nurses. I started to see that goodness, that, that loving and caring power in other people. And it's also kind of a way to kind of uh, register on, on who to trust too. You know, um, yeah. does this person, are they, are they, are they godlike? You know, do they have that, that, that loving and caring trait to them? Yeah. Um, and I'm still, I'm still trying to gauge that sometimes because some people, you, you just, you know, as an addict, I, I didn't trust people very well. Um, and so I'm, I'm still working on that, but, um, I can definitely, I know who to, who to talk to and my sponsor, you know, my sponsor is definitely my, my, uh, embodies my higher power. So that's definitely where, where I see my higher power, but really coming always to that, that, that descriptor. Um, which is in it, which is in the the basic text, which is our higher power is a loving and caring power that is greater than our addiction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, perfect. All right, Eric, back to you. Um, damn, you stole my question about the agnostic thing. Uh, so I figured. I was like, I got to get to this before yeah, Eric does. That was my that was my second question. Fucking a. Yes. All right. So that doesn't happen often. <laughs> Well, well, let's let's move on. You to... steal mine all the time. I don't steal yours very often. You have to give me credit for that one. <laughs> sure. Okay. Yeah. It's a good question. question. Yeah. Thank you. Um. So, with uh, your relapse, right? So you relapsed around thirteen months. Um, yeah. I know. With so I've I've had two relapses, I guess, with me, with some time. So yeah. I guess with each of know. those relapses. Oh yeah, you can look at my yeah. We can look at my your, key tag your chain, key tag chain, uh, which is like three feet long. So um, two so, years, one year, and uh, and there are two again now. Yeah. So or two and a half. Um, yeah, it's only three. Yeah. So I guess with each of my relapses, I learn something from those relapses. Um, you know, I like I pick up something, or like I wasn't doing something, or I was doing something, or I was doing too much of something else. Well, we know you pick up something. You're not supposed to do that. Oh, blah, blah, blah. (laughs) Uh (laughs) But what what did you learn from your relapse that you then applied when you uh, came back into recovery? Hmm. Um, Well, I, I... I've basically verified that what I had learned in the first, second, and third step was correct. Basically, I I learned that I I had a disease I could not control my use. Um, I obsessed about using. I compulsively used, and basically, I, I got into these states of where uh, I I was self-centered again and I didn't feel good about myself and I, I, I felt a poor me, you know, mm. and, and although by that time I, I, I had, I had got a, a job. I was, 
I was I was I was I was paying my rent, and 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 but what I just noticed was that I just was empty. Um, I think it was that that realization that because <laughs> I was like sitting with 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 a with a known disease, I I knew that there was a way out of this, but I just wasn't doing anything about it, and. What I realized was that I could go, I could just keep going back to the way I was living before, which had never worked before, which was insanity. Mm-hmm. And, or I could, I could go and just try again. You know, I could get out of that self-centeredness, that self-pity, the feeling for my, feeling sorry for myself, and I could start to do something again. And. I think the second time I came back was really when I started to see that all these spiritual principles were actual actions. Mm-hmm. Uh, the biggest one of all, and I talked about this earlier, was that patience was an action. Oh, yeah. um, I, I, that, that first week or two that I came back, I was like, oh my God. I, I always thought patience was just like sitting around waiting for something to happen. Um, but it was actually, patience was doing doing the work and while you're doing the work, then things will start to change. Um, I just don't know when that is. And that's when I started to develop a relationship with a higher power and, and seeing that I am not on my timeline anymore. Um, so I think that that relapse for me was really just, a, a re- I, I had so much NA in my head. I had so much recovery in my head that it was driving me crazy because it was basically saying that there's no other option. Mm-hmm. You found a new way to live. Why the heck are you doing this? Mm-hmm. Um, you got to deal with all these emotions. You got to deal with this anger. You got to deal with it. And you're, you can't do it through a bottle or through the pipe. You know, you got to deal with it um, through, through, through something, through this loving power that is, is, is wanting to save your life. And I, I think coming to terms with that um, was was really the, the changing point for me. Mm. Nice. Awesome. All right. I got a couple Thanks. last questions for you. Um, okay. Hmm. What am I... I actually have three questions, but I, but Eric won't let me ask all okay. three. Eric won't ask, let me ask all three. I won't. No, I know. I know. Yeah. He's... he's a stickler. Uh, producer, yeah. Okay. All right. Whatever. All right. Um, we'll go with this one. All right. How have you applied recovery towards the relationships in your life? Like, because you said you like you had a lot of toxic relationships and broken relationships. So what tools have you used from recovery to really mend those relationships or like make amends and uh, move forward to a better, healthier relationships? All around. Yeah. Well, I probably I'll talk about three relationships. Um, I talked about my parents before, mm-hmm. um, who are still still alive and healthy. They're both in their seventies now, um, and I'm I'm glad you know that that they 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 they've lived a long life so that I get to actually enjoy my my life with them mm-hmm. uh without being being in the uh in active addiction anymore um because 
I'm still working on trying not to be dependent mm-hmm. off of off of them. You know, um, it's been a long road. And when I talk about patience, um, we've been patient with each other. Um, but what I have done uh, before before I was diagnosed with the cancer and I had to kind of get away from working, um, I was paying my own bills. I was uh, um, paying them the rent because they had bought me the condo, you know, and mm-hmm. I've been doing the right thing for since since really I, I I got back in the rooms and even a little before that um, I've been I've been doing everything I need to do I've been responsible um, and just recently as I started as I've started to get healthier um, I started to because they they had to kind of help me out again you know uh-huh. um, and so I kind of had this realization that oh shit, I actually need to actually start saving money and start putting money away so that I can actually be secure in my future, yeah. <laughs> you know? And so, um, because I was like, Jesus, I, I really can't do that. And they, they're, they're, they're old enough to where they can't, you know, they might need money for things like a nursing home or things like their own health issues, you know? Mm-hmm. And they can't, they can't be be helping me every time I get into a situation. And so right now I'm really still working on that, that, uh, part of our relationship where I need to, to, to get away from them being dependent. And I've even told them, I don't want your money. I need to do this myself right now. Mm -hmm. And, um, so these are kind of constant amends I'm making, Mm -hmm. uh, with them. Um, as far as romantic, uh, relationships. Um, a few years ago, I was in another pretty horrible, toxic relationship. Not probably more than actually, maybe maybe three years ago, mm-hmm. and uh, it was it was kind of a, a cool experience because I was still doing the recovery thing. But what I started to see, you know, I. I, I we, it would be this, this, this relationship where we fought a lot. We broke up like once a week, <laughs> once a day, you know, we, we'd, uh, have great sex, but then we'd break up right afterwards, you know, and, um, it that's was not, that's the, that that's the opposite doing. way breakup sex works. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and this is, you know, I was, I was, I was late thirties, early forties here, and I'm still doing the same stuff I was doing when I was seventeen, eighteen, nineteen years old. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and what I started to, you know, and 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 then like we'd break up, and then I started like getting obsessed about what is she doing right now, and oh, yeah. and I I I'd send her stupid like texts and shit like that, yep. and it was all like obsessive compulsive behavior it was addict behavior and I started to really I started talking about this in meetings and there was this lady who brought up something that I had never heard of before I'd maybe heard of it I think I, I think the, I heard of it. I think Tiger Woods uh, <laughs> was a part of it or something like that when mm-hmm. he got in trouble, you know. Mm-hmm. And I, I heard of love addiction, and she started talking about this thing called love addiction. I'm like, what is that? And so I started to read about it. I went to another fellowship, which is called Sex and uh, uh, Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous, mm-hmm. and I kind of learned a little bit about what they were about. 
Um, I didn't really stay in that fellowship just because Narcotics Anonymous kind of dealt with all of the addiction behavior anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, and I started to really say, okay, I need to just get away from this. And so I took some space from from dating. Mm-hmm. I started to put that into my step work a lot. I started to apply that into um, my defects of character. I think about that time I was working six and seven steps, so I think I was really helpful mm-hmm. um, that that happened around that time. Um, I ended up, when, when, when I started to kind of see what I wanted and what I, I, I knew was, was dangerous for me, um, I was like, okay, these are the things I cannot do. Like, I can't have sex on the first date anymore. Mm-hmm. I can't um, be with somebody who we like to just fight, or I can't be with somebody who's shallow, that, that doesn't challenge me in any way mm-hmm. with, with intelligence, because I was always dating the wrong people that had nothing to do like nothing in common with me. I need to find somebody who's actually in common, had something in common with me. Mm-hmm. I know that sounds like really weird, but it's, it's like, I never really even saw stuff like that. I yeah. thought, I thought relationships were all about, uh, sex and, and emotions and that's all they were, you know? Yeah. Um, and so I started dating this person and the kind of cool thing is she was coming out of a, a pretty rough relationship, a toxic relationship. And she was at the same point. She was like, I'm just done with this sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And we took things very, very slow. We're actually, we have a pretty good distance right now too. Um, She's up in uh, Brighton, which is pretty far north of Denver. And I'm on the west side of of Denver in Lakewood. And so we, we still have like a 33 minute drive from each other. And because of our schedules, we really only hang out with each other on the weekends. And it's been kind of like that for about uh, about 16 or 17 months now. Um, mm-hmm. And it's been probably the best relationship I've ever had. Um, it's very different. Yeah. And I, I still, I still, it still blows me away sometimes that we haven't had an argument. Like we, we, we get critical with each other. Mm-hmm. We, we disagree with each other, but yeah. we don't fight. You know, and this is coming from a person who was an abusive person to people, and I don't really see that anymore in me. Um, I've let a lot of that go. I've given it to my higher power. I've really worked through a lot of those issues, and I can't even believe that I used to even be that that person anymore. Mm-hmm. But a lot of that was really just because I started to see the behaviors um, that I had done in the past, and really just resist those behaviors hmm. um, and, and say, okay, this is the, this is the person I actually want to be with. I want to be with somebody who does have something in common with me, who I can talk to, who, who uh, creates intimacy with me that doesn't always have to be sexual intimacy, you know? And, mm-hmm. and the, the funny thing is, is that I learned a lot of those skills uh, with the relationship with my sponsor and people in the program uh, on, on what real intimacy really is. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's been it's been pretty awesome. Nice, perfect. Um, yeah. All right, I have one quick question, one last question um, before we go to our Twitter question. Have you worked all twelve steps? Yep, I uh, finished my first round of steps in December of twenty eighteen. Nice. Um, yeah, so I I like I said, my first sponsor passed away. I, I had worked the first 
three steps with him and then he got sick and passed away mm -hmm. and then I got a new sponsor and kind of just went through what I had gone through with my, my first sponsor and then he was pretty cool because he knew that I had a had a a dis I, I still hadn't created a good relationship with a higher power. So he actually had me do the eleventh step um, as as we did the steps. So I did the I did actually did the eleventh step three times while mm. I was doing the whole twelve steps. Um, and a lot of that really just was about meditation mm -hmm. and and prayer and developing a relationship with my higher power. And uh, so I finished the steps with him. He he kind of was just like, okay, we're done. <laughs> yeah. And so I didn't have a sponsor from that point. Um, and I know that's how a lot of a lot of sponsors work the program. But um, a lot of people in my program were like, let's you need to keep doing it. And mm -hmm. I, I, I took probably about six or seven months off when I got this diagnosis of cancer. I was like, I need to work with a sponsor again. I need to do the steps again. And so I'm, I'm back on step two right now. Um, nice. I'm working the steps again. All right. Well, yeah. my, my question is related to that. You, if you had to choose one and you can only choose one, what is your favorite step? Oh, God. Um, my favorite step has been the seventh step. Um, nice. And... That's where, and I think because I, I told you before, I, I relapsed when I was on that sixth step. And mm -hmm. so when I got to the seventh step and I could actually give those defects of characters, those shortcomings to my higher power and um, work on giving them away, um, it was a, uh, it was, it was, it was probably at that time a fairly easy step but it was it was the first time i think i was like man i think this this thing actually works mm. and there's something there's something about this so um yeah i'm looking forward to getting getting there again nice all right anybody who's listening out yeah. there if you're on your sixth step don't relapse because that's a shitty step to relapse on oh totally just a head full <laughs> of like character defects Ooh, that's rough all right, Eric, what do you got? All right, so this is from Natasha, and I'm going to butcher the last name, so I'll do my best here. A Kinfrilerin. Jesus. Um, let, me, let me see this. Where is it? This right here. A Kinfrilerin. That's got to be, that, I don't know, that looks Irish. That looks, but that looks it's, Gaelic. Uh, or like at N-A Kinfrilerin. Lorraine, uh, whatever, but a kin Lorraine. So yeah, so um, this we'll is a general that. question. So uh, you know, we'll we'll all take our time to answer it. So Sean, you'll go first, and then we'll come back around. But it's kind of a topic. So the um, topic is loneliness, especially in early <laughs> recovery. And Ooh. How. So that that's the topic. So you know, whatever um, experience you had with that, how you overcame it. Um, so Sean, you can go first. Oh man. Um, uh, like my first sponsor told me I got to chalk it up for experience because I, I wasn't very good at dealing with loneliness. Um, it's funny, I'm working with a sponsee right now and we talked about that a little bit about, you know, how, I mean, for me it was, it was, I was always like, 
wanting to to uh, talk to women. I was always wanting to um, get that companionship um, to fill my loneliness and um, the that that first first round I I was in recovery. I I dated in the fellowship. That of course knowing my pattern, um, did not know what I was doing. Um, what, what I can kind of say now is that I haven't felt a sense of loneliness for quite a while. Um, I think a lot of the reasons I was dealing with loneliness and feeling lonely is because I hadn't developed a relationship with, with a higher power yet. Um, you know, a lot of the, the 12 step program is, is always saying, you know, we are never alone. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I think like what I was talking about before, I think that having a, having a sponsor though, and really get having somebody who, who cared for me and was always there for me as much as they're, they're capable of being there, you know, they're, mm-hmm. um, like, like human beings can't always be there for me, you know? And I think I've needed to realize that too. Oh, yeah. Um, but it was a hard, that was a, that was a big, big, that was a hard thing early in recovery. Um, and I probably always didn't do the right things either. Um, I, I'd say I, 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 I tried to date a lot of other newcomer women and that wasn't a good thing to do and um as my sponsor would say i chalked that up for experience um (laughs) because it really um i I would tell my sponsee to just don't do that you know because it really does ruin 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 our recovery and ruin our relationship with a higher power um, which is really what what I believe uh, recovery is all about is, is developing that that loving and caring relationship with our higher power. Mm-hmm. Nice. All right. Uh, so loneliness in recovery. Um, I think loneliness in recovery is a lot different than loneliness in active addiction. Um, because in, in active addiction, like it wasn't it. It seemed even deeper than that. Like it was not like a loneliness. It was like a like crushing, sinking feeling of actually feeling alone, like in the world, like at least in like my addiction. Like I just felt so alone, like nobody related to me. Nobody understood like what was happening. Like my family for for a, a good chunk of my addiction didn't even know where i was so like i for all intents and purposes like from my family i was alone like my my i didn't talk to them for several years except for maybe my little sister and like she was the only one who would sort of like clue everybody in to like what was happening in my world and um it's it it it's really not the same um coming into recovery um, in recovery, like you said, you start to get that, or at least I got that feeling that, you know, I wasn't alone in this world. Like I wasn't the only person that had these thoughts, had these feelings, had these behaviors. And like all the, all the other 
good and bad character traits that addicts tend to have. So, like, coming into the rooms, I really felt a um, a, a sense that, that like, um, of camaraderie and that I, I could be understood by these people. Now, as far as, like, romantic loneliness, um... My first my first six months of recovery, I stayed pretty romantically and sexually abstinent. We got a dog growling. It's oh, okay. Well. Um, so so yeah, for the first six months, I I, I devoted that pretty much uh, as much as I could to recovery, and then of course I got into a relationship as well um, with a newcomer girl, and like there were good and bad parts of that, but like pr- the biggest thing that I forged in that first like six, seven months of recovery where it was like me and my sponsor and the steps and meetings, um, was a building a network, finding those people in recovery that I could truly relate to. And like you said, would always be there. Like it, cause early recovery is fucking tough. And, um, we can be needy sometimes emotionally, psychologically. Mm-hmm. And, just having that network, having that phone book full of numbers that like when those shitty days happen, you can call person X, Y, and Z and they'll pick up the phone and either you'll go to a meeting or hang out or do whatever to get through that. Um, so it's loneliness, loneliness is a challenge. Like we're, we're a social, we're a social being. That's what humans are. Like we, we need that interaction with people and we crave it, but um, in recovery, it's it's been amazing to really get like yes, there are times when I'm lonely, but I've lost that sense of feeling truly alone. And like I always know, I have a family in recovery who would jump through fiery hoops for me, and that's like an amazing feeling. Um, so yeah, what do you got, Eric? So I was reminded that. At one point in my recovery, I read The Loner, Staying Clean in Isolation, and interpreted that as a way to (laughs) be clean in a populated area, but alone. So, Of course you did, Eric. um, You would. I... You were like, oh, I can stay clean in a and, fucking... And uh, not, you know... In a lighthouse by myself. Yeah, I mean, I so... Loneliness, I guess I didn't work a lot in early recovery. Um, I didn't. I think I took almost a year off of work when I first got clean. Um, and I mean, that's a lot of time. So I filled a lot of it with recovery, but there is a lot left over. And not everyone has, not everyone can be at my disposal at all times. Mm-hmm. And when you don't have a job and you don't have, like, um, any responsibility, you have no reason to get up. So my sleep schedule was a little weird, and you get pretty lonely at 2 to 3 in the morning. By weird, do you mean excessive? What, sleep? No, like, just the, the schedule. Like, okay. you, you don't, you have nothing to wake up to go to do. Yeah. So there's no reason to wake up. Um, so, I mean, you get you get kind of lonely, and I don't know. I Loneliness is hard, and I think it's just a feeling that... Because you can feel lonely in a meeting, and I feel lonely in meetings more than I feel lonely by myself. Um, Ooh. I do. I feel, if I'm here 
in my room, I'm great. But in a meeting, I feel lonely. Um, that's just how I feel. You don't need to give me that face. I want to give, how... give you a hug right now. Oh, get the f- fuck off, David. <laughs> fuck off, man. Uh, but, do, you, do, you need, do you need a hug? No. Uh, I'm good. I'm going to give you a hug. Well, I'm just, I'm, I'm just saying that, you know what I mean? You can be in a room filled with people but not feel like, you know, a part of. Yeah. And I think understanding that you're not alone, but sometimes you have to sit by yourself. Yeah. That it's hard and it's hard to kind of get used to that and being able to, you know, cause you want to be around people all the time because you don't know how to process your feelings in early recovery, mm-hmm. but learning how eventually going through the steps and working the program, you'll figure out how to process those feelings and how it's okay to sit with yourself. All right. Well, we would like to thank our guest, Sean, for joining us today. Yay! Thank you. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> I want to give you a quick minute to uh, talk to anybody out there who's listening. Um, if they're struggling early in recovery, um, just need that shot of hope. What do you have to say to them? You know, it's, uh, it's a simple program, but it's a complicated disease. So, um, just keep coming back. Mm-hmm. Go to a meeting when you are feeling alone. Um, there's also tons of things online. Like I like found uh, recovery posse on the Twitter. Mm-hmm. I've uh, found online meetings. Um, you know, I I can't tell anyone how their road of recovery is going to look, but I do know that uh, by simply by my experience of simply going to meetings on a regular basis, working with the sponsor, doing the steps, and doing service, it is it has saved my life. So I hope that that can help somebody out there. Mm. Cool. And where can we find you, Sean? Like your podcast and everything. <clears throat> yeah, so I do a podcast called A Power Greater Than. Um, you can go to my website at apowergreaterthan.com. I'm also on Twitter at apowergreater. So I'm Sean the Podcaster at apowergreater. And then you can also follow me on Facebook. Uh, just search for A Power Greater Than Podcast. And um, my podcast is basically more of an autobiographical. I do do interviews, but I also talk a lot about my own recovery in that podcast too. Nice. All right, man. Well, all of our listeners, go and uh, check him out as well. And uh, here at Podcast Recovery, we are aiming to expand the scope of support for recovering addicts. Accessibility and convenience of helpful services is paramount to combating addiction. We work to bring the message of recovery to every addict, wherever and whenever it is needed. We believe that a powerful voice of recovery should be obtainable, practical, and at the touch of a button. Every addict deserves to hear a message of hope, and Podcast Recovery is here to provide it. Thanks, everybody, for joining us tonight or today, whatever time of day you're listening to us. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Check us out at podcastrecovery.com. Definitely go to A Power Greater Than and listen to our uh, friend Sean. And uh, most importantly, everybody out there, stay safe and stay clean.